Welcome to Monday Morning Murder in the News with Alyssa Carroll. Good morning, heathens, and happy Murder in the News Monday. So we are gathered here today because the rest of the regular news is just hot, scary garbage, and you know you'd rather be hearing me and my bullshit anyway. I collect news articles along with articles sent to me by you, my beloveds, and others. So thank you for submitting. I got quite a few again this week. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. So unlike my regular podcast that I write out in its entirety before I record, this is unscripted. And I don't read the articles past the headline, so you and I can react together, so let's go. So our first article comes from the dinosaur, AOL.com, and the title reads, Man arrested in connection with 2013 cold case accused of killing father of two and raping his fiance, say police. And it says Thomas Delgado has been arrested and charged with more than 30 offenses in connection with the 2013 killing of Joseph Canazero, authorities announced. So a 50-year-old man has been charged with murder and rape, among other offenses, more than a decade after he allegedly killed a restaurant owner and raped his fiancée, authorities announced. No period at the end of that sentence. Thomas Delgado was arrested on Wednesday for allegedly breaking into the Hilltown Township, Pennsylvania home of uh, Joseph Canazero, tying him, his fiance, and his child up, then allegedly killing Canazaro in 2013, the Bucks County District Attorney's Office said in a statement on Thursday. Canazaro's fiance, who has not been named, was also raped during the incident, according to the statement. While an alleged accomplice had Canazaro, 48, in a separate area of the home, Delgado waited with Canazaro's fiancé and son before he allegedly took the woman to a different room and raped her, the Philadelphia Inquirer and NBC Philadelphia reported, citing an affidavit. The DA's office statement said that the offenders allegedly stole guns, money, and jewelry from the residence. Canazero's fiancé and son were able to escape, and the woman contacted authorities, the statement said. Responding officers found the victim, identified in news reports as a local restaurant owner, deceased with numerous stab wounds, according to the statement. Canazero's eldest son was at school during the incident, NBC Philadelphia reports. DNA samples taken from the sexual assault kit and gloves found near Canazero's vehicle, which was found later that day, did not match any DNA profiles at the time of the investigation. In 2019, authorities found a mask in the vehicle with DNA that allegedly matched Delgado, according to the Philadelphia Inquirer and NBC Philadelphia. Officers also found 11 cell phones in Canazero's home that revealed numerous interactions between him and Delgado. Online court records show Delgado is facing more than 30 charges in relation to the alleged homicide, kidnapping, 
robbery and burglary, sexual assault, and other things. He is being held without bail. No attorney was listed in court records and no plea information was available. The investigation is ongoing, District Attorney Jen Shorn said, per the office's statement. Yowza. So our next article comes from WCYB.com, News WCYB5. And the title reads, Utah woman accused of punching her newborn baby to death. Well, that's great. Riverdale, Utah. A Utah woman was arrested after a 911 call led to the discovery of her deceased baby. A two-month-old was found in a Riverdale home when the 911 caller reported that the baby was, quote, gone, according to court documents. Responding officers found the infant with multiple injuries consistent with aggravated child abuse. The baby's mother, Bryce Jo Harkins, 26, reportedly admitted to physically abusing her son multiple times in recent weeks. On the day of the baby's death, Harkins stated she punched her crying son in the head, quote, hard, causing him to turn pale and eventually stop breathing. It wasn't clear from the affidavit if the baby died the same day police responded to the 911 call. Quote, Bryce did not attempt to seek medical assistance, end quote. The arresting officer reported that Harkins told investigators she had previously backhanded the baby with the same amount of force as the punch. Police stated there was also another child in the home. It wasn't clear if the second child was Harkins or if there was any evidence the child was also abused. Booking documents state she admitted she'd, quote, thrown the baby into his crib from a height of one to two feet multiple times, among other forms of physical abuse. Harkins was booked into the Weber County Jail just before 5 a.m. Monday on suspicion of one first-degree felony count of aggravated murder. Ah, you know, I don't wish harm on people. You know, I'm not really supposed to say out loud, but she may face some justice when them mommies in that jail get a hold of her. That's all I'm saying. And our next article comes from People.com, and the title reads, Flight School Owner, Instructor, and Student Pilot Killed in Massachusetts Small Plane Crash. The flight school owner, an instructor, and all separate people. Some periods in that would really help you out. The three victims who are identified on Sunday morning were identified on Monday. And it shows, you know, like a field. It's not a field. It's, you know, there's lots of trees, but it's winter. So it kind of looks like a field because there's no foliage. And then there's a crashed little bitty plane. Three people were killed in a small plane crash in western Massachusetts Sunday morning per a Massachusetts State Police news release. Quote, a twin-engine Beechcraft Baron 55 crashed in Leyden, Massachusetts around 12.30 p.m. local time on Sunday, the Federal Aviation Administration shared with people. The victims were identified Monday as William Hampton, 68, Frederica Ballard, 53, and Chad Davidson, 29, state police said. Ballard was the Fly Lugu Flight School owner, Hampton was an instructor, and Davidson was a student 
pilot. Hampton, Ballard, and Davidson were the only people on the flight school's plane and were, quote, determined to be deceased by Greenfield firefighters and American medical response paramedics, per the MSP News release. The three victims were then transported to the office of the chief medical examiner. The crash occurred two hours west of Boston, near the Massachusetts-Vermont border. The MSP reports that, quote, authorities began searching for the crash site at approximately 11.30 a.m. The search began after Greenfield police fired dispatch received 911 calls from dog walkers in Leyden and Greenfield reporting a plane that appeared about to crash. An eyewitness observed the plane enter a climb, followed by a rapid descent to the ground. National Transportation Safety Board spokesperson Sarah Taylor Sulik told People. Upon arrival at the crash site, the MSP Crime Scene Services processed and documented the crash site. An investigation into the crash has begun with the MSP Springfield Police Northwest. On Sunday, state troopers remained at the site to provide overnight security. An NTSB investigator arrived at the crash site on Monday to inspect the scene and aircraft. Electronic devices that could contain information relevant to the investigation have been sent to NTSB headquarters in Washington, D.C. The aircraft was also recovered to an off-site facility for further examination. During the on-scene phase of the investigative process, the NTSB does not determine or even speculate about the cause of the accident. A preliminary report will be available within 30 days. Side note, preliminary is a word for some reason I can't hardly say. Preliminary. Preliminary. However, the crash's probable cause and contributing factors will be in the final report, which is expected in... 12 to 24 months? How in the hell does it take that long? Additionally, the investigation will gather intel regarding the flight track data, air traffic control communications, aircraft maintenance, weather forecasts, weather and lightning, no, lighting conditions. I mean, the weather and lighting conditions and witness statements, electronic devices, surveillance video, all of that could be done day one as well as the pilot's license, ratings, recent flight experience, and a 72-hour background check. And a 72-hour background, comma. Weird. Representatives for the Massachusetts State Police, Greenfield Police, and Northwest District Attorney's Office did not immediately respond to people's request for additional information on Monday. Well, that sucks. Chances are something in that plane malfunctioned since there were two experts and a student in there. Student meaning I'm sure that they had studied and practiced and so on and so forth. So, I mean, you know, anyway, yeah, that's terrible. So our next article comes from a new source that I have not seen. It's called westernslopenow.com, westernslopenow.com. Under the heading of crime, the title reads, Human Head Found in Deep Freezer and Grand Junction Front Lawn. Wow. Grand Junction, Colorado. Authorities are investigating a possible homicide after a human head was found in a deep freezer in a front yard on Pinion Avenue. Mesa County Sheriff's Office deputies 
responded to reports of a suspicious incident on Pinion Avenue at 2.30 p.m. January 12th. New homeowners were cleaning out various leftover belongings at a recently sold house and discovered a bag with possible human remains inside. Authorities have since confirmed it was a human head. Possible human remains? I imagine they probably didn't look, they may have like tried to convince themselves it was a mannequin head because Lord knows I would too. Human head. So this is an active MCSO investigation with no further information available at this time. Ah, officials believe there is no ongoing threat to the community. Bitch, listen. Okay, if there is a decapitated head in a deep freezer in someone's yard, you bet your sweet fucking ass that people need to be concerned. Why is that head there? Where is the body? Why was it detached? Who is the person? Did they have any uh, enemies? Not to mention that if a person has the ability to cut off a human head, unless they're like, you know, an autopsy tech or something, then they could do that again. There's every bit reason to be concerned as far as the local community goes, unless it was like the spouse, then I suppose. I don't know. Tangent. Our next article comes from WXII12.com, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Title reads, North Carolina woman charged with murder of 10-year-old sister, Halifax County deputies say. So again, Halifax County, North Carolina. A Halifax County woman has been charged with murder after the death of her 10-year-old sister, according to the Halifax County Sheriff's Office. I mean, that's some sibling. There can only be one rivalry, right? Around 10.30 p.m. on Tuesday, Halifax County deputies responded to the 2000 block of Beaver Dam Road just outside of Enfield about a missing 10-year-old child. When deputies arrived, they learned that the mother found the missing child in the backyard where the child appeared to be deceased. Further investigation revealed that the child had been stabbed multiple times and was dead. Kanija Zier Bradley, 22, was arrested and charged with murder. 22. Bradley had been placed in the Halifax County Detention Center with no bond. Well, you freaking think so. 22, she killed her 10-year-old little sister. That's the end of the article? Damn. Why? I want to know why. Why did she do that? Oh, man. See, this is how you know I don't read them ahead of time because I want to know why. So our next article comes from People.com and the title reads, Colorado Sisters three and seven who were visiting their father are killed by him in murder-suicide. Authorities say James or Jake Hill fatally shot his daughters, Jesse seven and Summer three. The family of two young Colorado sisters who were killed by their father in an apparent murder-suicide are raising money to pay for the girls' memorial services this week. The two precious sisters were remembered on social media this week as the community rallied around their mother to help pay for funeral expenses. Officers found Jesse Seven and Summer Three dead alongside their father, James Hill, after responding to a welfare check at the family's home in Phippsburg, Colorado on Saturday. 
quote, this is being investigated as a murder-suicide and there is no known danger to our community, the sheriff's office wrote. Now this, this I do believe. The two young sisters were visiting their father, 45, at the time, according to family friend Tara Sherwood Peterson, who launched a GoFundMe to help pay for the girls' memorial expenses. Hill and the other girls' mother, Tierney K. Miller, were separated, according to Peterson. Quote, they didn't have any life insurance on their kids, and it's something that is very expensive to do, and, you know, they needed the money for it, Peterson told the local Steamboat Pilot and Today News outlet. Peterson's GoFundMe page has raised nearly $10,000 for the family. Tierney responded to the efforts with a heartfelt message in the fundraiser's comments, sharing a series of photos of her two young girls hugging and playing together. Quote, Thank you all for the tremendous support and prayers for our family during this difficult time. The girls will be home tomorrow and we will begin planning services. Thank you all. These girls are greatly loved by the community. Love and strength to all their friends, teachers, staff, and family who are grieving. On social media, Peterson wrote that the community is planning a candlelight vigil for the girls this week and that a permanent memorial, including a plaque, is scheduled to be placed at a local Cedar Ridge Park, that's not how you spell speeder, in honor of the sisters. A description of the memorial event says community members will also plan to release balloons with messages written on them in memory of the girls. I wonder if that was to punish the mother which I feel like is exactly why that guy, now I forgot what town he was in, uh, shot his three young sons, if you remember, um, and shot his wife through the hand because she was planning on leaving him. So it's like, if you leave me, you're not taking my boys with you kind of situation. Like, I wonder if, I wonder why he did that. So coming straight from cbsnews.com, title reads, Four plead guilty in Illinois girl's murder-for-hire plot that killed her mother and wounded her father. Four young people have pleaded guilty and been sentenced to decades in prison for their roles as teenagers in an Illinois girl's murder-for-hire plot that killed her mother and critically wounded her father. Prosecutors said during Tuesday's hearing that Dahlia Bolin, then 15, initially sought out the three others to kill her father because she was having trouble with them, and the plan was later changed to kill her mother as well, CBS affiliate WMBD-TV reported. A specific reason for why Bolin was upset with her parents was never disclosed during the hearing the station reported. The details were worked out using electronic devices, they said. Bolin planned to pay her co-defendants $100,000 out of her parents' life insurance and also give them guns. Douglas Bolin later identified the two guns used in the attack as weapons he owned, prosecutors said. Nathaniel L. Maloney, 20, of Morton, and Andre T. Street, 19 of Groveland were accused of carrying out the October 2021 attack while Sage in Rauerber, 21 of Morton, waited in a getaway car outside the Bolin's home near Mackinac. Dahlia Bolin planned to tell police that it was a robbery, prosecutors said. WMBD reported Rauber, Maloney, and Street drove to the couple's rural Mackinac house twice, 
once the night of the murder and once the night before. So all four were arrested soon after Rebecca D. Boland, 51, was fatally shot and Douglas Boland, 52, was critically wounded. Maloney Street and Rauerber, I don't know how to pronounce that, Rayber, appeared in court wearing jail jumpsuits and only spoke when the judge asked them questions, the station reported. After the hearing, the judge's permission, with the judge's permission, Rayber, Rauerber, and her mother hugged as crying could be heard, the WMBD reported. All four defendants pleaded guilty Tuesday to first-degree murder, attempted first-degree murder, and conspiracy, the Tazewell County State's Attorney's Office said. Dahlia Bolin also pleaded guilty to solicitation of first-degree murder for hire. Bolin was charged as a juvenile until her case was moved to adult court where she received 60 years in prison. She'll be held in juvenile corrections until she turns 18 in May. Maloney was sentenced to 66 years, Street to 55 years, and Raber Rauber to 30 years. I would like to know why she wanted her parents dead. Were they just inconvenient and in the way? Or was something going on? What? You know, I don't know. I'd like to have more info. So our next one comes from cbsnews.com and the title reads, Texas couple buys suspect's car to investigate their daughter's mysterious death. So I didn't read the rest of it, obviously, but I was thinking maybe that they literally bought the guy who killed their daughter's car so that they could have it actually checked. I think that's pretty boss. I think that's pretty cool. So Kaylee Mendotti a 19-year-old sophomore at Trinity University when she arrived at a hospital in Texas on October 29, 2017. She was nearly naked, bruised, and not breathing. Her sometime boyfriend, Mark Howerton, told doctors they'd taken ecstasy at a music festival and she passed out after consensual sex in his car. She died at the hospital. Mondotti's mother, Allison Steele, and stepfather, Lawrence Baitland, believed something far more sinister happened and set out to prove it. 48 Hours correspondent Peter Van Sant reports on the case in For the Love of Kaylee Mondotti to be broadcast Saturday, January 20th. Today is the 21st. I'm one day behind. I apologize, guys. It's probably streaming somewhere for the love of Kaylee Mandati to be broadcast on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus. So there you go. For the love of Kaylee, C-A-Y-L-E-Y Mandati. Oh, there's more down here. At 4 a.m. on October 30th, 2017, Mandati's parents woke up to an alarming phone call. They were told Kaylee had been life flighted to Kyle, Texas and had been involved in an accident. They raced from their home in Houston to the hospital. Quote, I saw my daughter's body smashed, Steele recalled. Mandati was unconscious and covered with bruises. The doctor told them there was no hope for recovery. On October 31st, Mandati was taken off life support. Steele and Baitland gave their final goodbyes before she was taken into surgery for organ donation. The medical examiner ruled that Mandati died from blunt force face and head trauma and ruled her death a homicide. 
Howerton was charged with her murder. He maintained his innocence, and in December of 2019, his trial began. Prosecutors alleged that Howerton beat Mandati in his car, causing a fatal brain bleed. Howerton's defense attorney, John Hunter, said Howerton did not cause Mandati's injuries. He argued that her injuries were caused by resuscitation efforts by hospital staff and medical complications from taking MDMA. My ass. My whole ass. After 10 hours of deliberations, the jury could not reach a verdict and the judge declared a mistrial. While prosecutors planned to retry to retry Howerton, Steele and Baitlin decided the jury needed more information about what happened to their daughter inside that car. See? Mm-hmm. Steele, a scientist, and Baitland, a NASA engineer, got to work. Yes, my friends. Oh, shit. This is about to get good. Quote, we are not prosecutors, we are not medical doctors, but we know people who have those skills and maybe we could develop a way to crowdsource some answers into this thing. And so that's what we did, Steele told 48 Hours. We started making phone calls, we started making inquiries. Yes. Steele said they were overwhelmed with offers from experts, including medical doctors, forensic scientists, and even a medical legal death medical legal death investigator that I've never seen that word before to help them examine evidence in her case. They got all the evidence they could quote. What we did was to take that evidence and to make sense of it in a way that was not done in the first trial. This is what her mother said. The couple focused their attention on one autopsy photo showing a bruise in the shape of a small dot above her right ear and on another photo showing a larger bruise above her left ear. Steele says they landed on a theory that her fatal injury took place when Howerton, quote, reached from his driver's seat, hit her in the left ear, and drove her head into the window and onto the lock button of the car. Now they had to prove it. So they went to a used car lot where Baitland took photos of Steele posing in a car similar to the Mercedes Howerton drove the night that she was fatally injured there's a picture here where they're holding i mean you can't see the whole head but it looks like the side of a head or whatever and they're moving the hair and it's right above the little clicker in the door for your door to be locked you know up or down the clicker you know the little clicker <laughs> Baitland told 48 hours he photographed Steele's head in different positions while holding the autopsy images trying to see if they match up with the door and it's a near perfect match. So encouraged by their findings, Baitland used a software program to construct a 3D model of his stepdaughter's head. I love these people. He layered in photos of her and the autopsy photo showing that dot above her right ear. He used a measurement from Mundati's eyeglasses to help determine the size of the 3D head. Baitland then consulted a bio, biomechanical expert, I can't read today, in injury causation who examined the evidence and Baitland's research and supported his theory. So this gave me the confidence to go to the next step, which was to seek out Mark Howerton's car, Baitland said. Baitland tracked down the Mercedes that Howerton sold in 2018. Convenient. That's convenient. 
I reached out to some friends on social media who were on an automotive forum and they were able to look up the VIN number of the car for me. At first, the new owner was hesitant to sell Baitland the car, but after learning about his stepdaughter's story, obviously he agreed. Baitland said driving the car home was, quote, torturous, but necessary for their investigation. True, true, that would be. Quote, we had to have the vehicle to show how she was assaulted. So Baitland and Steele then commissioned a reenactment video of what they believed happened in the car. Using evidence photos, they focused on every little detail, including what uh, she and Howerton were wearing and what items were in the back seat. They even hired actors similar in size and weight to their daughter and Howerton. And then there is a picture. <laughs> the guy in the picture is literally like holding his hand and pushing her head on the little clicker. That's interesting. Prosecutors in the case told 48 Hours they'd never seen a victim's family go to such lengths before. Howerton's defense attorney, John Hunter, believes the parents' investigation is, quote, unscientific and fails to prove his client's guilt. How can you look at two scientists <laughs> in the face and tell them that their investigation is unscientific? I'm waiting. Will the parents' investigation be a game changer for Mark Howerton's second trial? For the love of Kaylee Mandati airs Saturday, January 20th. So you're going to have to watch it streaming on Paramount Plus. It might be on YouTube because I am late. I apologize. I didn't read the article ahead of time, so I didn't know when it was going to air. I apologize. And then our last one I saved for last on purpose comes from the New York Post. Sometimes they let me read the whole article and sometimes they don't. Um, but anyway, the title reads, L.A. Innocence Project takes convicted wife killer Scott Peterson's case, insists new evidence could exonerate him. The Los Angeles Innocence Project is getting behind convicted murderer Scott Peterson, arguing in legal papers that new evidence will show he didn't kill his pregnant wife more than two decades ago. Peterson, who is serving a life sentence for the murder of Lacey Peterson, received renewed hope Thursday when the legal organization confirmed to outlets it had taken up his case. So he was convicted in 2004 of killing his wife and their unborn child after Lacey's body was found a year prior. Innocent Project lawyers argued in a recent court filing that new evidence now supports Mr. Peterson's long-standing claim of innocence and raises many questions into who abducted and killed Lacey and Connor Peterson. The attorneys are looking for numerous items they couldn't find after combing over his trial files, including evidence from investigations into a December 2002 burglary across the street from where the couple lived, a missing watch that Lady Peterson, Lacey Peterson wore, and a van fire in the area around the time the mom-to-be went missing, as well as documents tied to witness interviews. The Stanislaus County District Attorney's Office replied to the nonprofit's request for information late last year, claiming the project's argument didn't pass muster. The San Francisco Chronicle reported picture of him in his red jumpsuit. The DA's special prosecutor, Burgett Flatiger, alleged the project intentionally held back information about exoneration efforts. 
Quote, the fact that you have chosen to withhold items you claim to possess that support some of your assertions is troubling, she wrote. Peterson, 51, has always maintained he was innocent of the murders. I highly doubt that. I highly, highly doubt that. It seems kind of odd to me that we're having some of these old cases come up again. You know, I don't know. Um, you know, I just did the uh, Menendez brothers. I was pretty passionate about that one. Um, we have John Bonet, which is always ongoing. But then we have, you know, the Menendez brothers could potentially get a new trial. And here we are with Scott Peterson. But the evidence against him, at least, you know, even the circumstantial evidence is just overwhelmingly pointing at him. If he didn't do it, it would have to be the most just a random set of circumstances and happenstance and so on and so forth for him to be innocent. Now, if he were by some stretch of the imagination be innocent, then of course he needs to be released. But I, it just doesn't seem like he was innocent. I've never felt that he was, but you know, no one knows except for him, right? Because Lacey's dead. But I think the evidence and even the circumstantial evidence point right to him. But new trial, I'm up for it. You know, I'll cover it the best I can. Um, if you guys want me to do sort of a flashback episode of Scott Peterson to kind of refresh our minds of the evidence and stuff, please feel free to let me know. Don't forget to get your Mommy Issues merch. The link is always in the show notes below. Um, hysterical design. It was fun. I think that you'll enjoy it. And outside of that, we're going to make it through another week. Uh, most of us don't have any holiday days off this week. We're going to have to work our full five. I know that sounds so stupid, right? First world problems. I'm not trying to offend anyone. Those of you who worked over the weekend, because I had a lot of errands to run this weekend, thank you so much for your service, especially dealing with the public in this day and age. Yuck. I got some new ink on Friday and I love it. Shout out to Jace for doing a badass, bomb-ass job. And everyone hang in there, okay? We'll get through this. It's winter. A lot of us are having the winter doldrums, the winter blues. I know that I've been struggling really, really bad lately, kind of up and down and all over the place. I don't know what the hell's going on. I'm taking my psych meds, guys, I promise, but it's been rough. And I imagine it's been that way for some of you too. And again, like I always say, I may not be able to answer every little thing. I try to at least leave you guys reactions, but just know that I see all of the comments. I'm still, as long as I stay on top of it, pretty able to read every single comment. And I do. Even the mean ones, I just don't care about those. So hang in there. Love ya. Bye.